take this agonizing death for our sin. But Lord, in the same way you gave up your spirit, you also raised up your spirit. And Lord, we rejoice, we praise and worship you this morning. We thank you that we are redeemed by the blood of the Lamb and your resurrection. And Lord, it's my prayer, if anyone here has not been redeemed, if they've not had their names written in the Lamb's book of life, today would be the day that they would come to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I love this Easter season. Uh, most of you that go here know I came to Christ 20 years ago this coming June, and, and Easter played a role in me coming to Christ. Uh, the girl uh, who was cutting my hair, who invited me uh, to church at Calvary Chapel, Fort Lauderdale, she invited me to their outdoor Easter service, and I'll never forget, uh, it was only a couple months later uh, that me and my wife came to Christ, so this season plays a great role in people that normally are hardened or are not really that interested in God's softening and opening eyes. But I want you to try and try your best to picture you as one of those disciples, either men or women, because the women that went there, they were disciples of Christ too. When they realized that morning that Jesus was alive again, they had seen him die just three days earlier. They weren't dreaming, but exactly as Jesus had promised, he had personally conquered the darkness of death. The brutality and the horror of the cross had been defeated. All the evil plans of hell and human hands had failed. Pilate, the chief priest, they had sent Jesus to death, but Jesus had overridden their sentence by his omnipotent power. Isn't that great? He overrode their sentence. Imagine trying that morning to soak it all in. It says they were amazed. Seeing his face. Imagine seeing his face that just a few days earlier was beaten beyond recognition. His beard had been plucked completely out yet his face was fully healed. He didn't just rise from the dead. That's powerful. All of those wounds healed. The only remnant of the barbaric crucifixion just three days earlier were scars that were also healed in his hands and his feet. By the way, if they weren't healed, they'd be gaping holes, which is exactly where they would have been when he went into the tomb. But all of it was healed. The marks were there but they were healed. But beyond that, their master, their rabbi, their teacher, their prophet, their healer, their friend was standing among them with a mighty presence. We didn't read it here in Mark's gospel. If we read some of the other gospels, when they see Jesus face to face, and they turn around, when they finally see him, look at verse 9. When he rose early on the first day, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, of whom he had cast out seven demons. So as she went and told those who had been with him as they wept and mourned. She's trying to tell him, I've seen him. I've seen him healed. 
transformed. The turnaround, the relief, the amazement, indescribable. Mary and later the rest of the disciples, if you read John's gospel, when they finally all meet and see Jesus and touch him for themselves, and Jesus touch, touch me and feel my hands. They with their own eyes had witnessed a once and all eternity miracle. A once and all eternity miracle. There's never been an event ever and never will be in all of eternity like that morning. A man does not have his face beaten beyond recognition, crucify one of the most cruel forms of death that man has ever devised. It was devised to be torture to death. It wasn't devised to be like firing squad. Torturous death, and he rises against it all, and they go from complete despair to complete joy. Now, I wasn't there that day, and you weren't either. But the only reason I'm standing here new in Christ this day is because I fully believe everything God has recorded about that monumental day. I wasn't there. You weren't there. But God was there. And if you have come to believe on the name of Jesus, that day is precisely why you can rejoice this day and for every day the rest of your life. That new day changed every remaining day for his disciples. And the life-changing power continues 2,000 years later to anyone, as we just sung that song, whosoever will believe. John chapter 20, verse 31 says this, but these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. God will never force us to believe these things. I know they're true. I know they're more true than this stand is standing here. I know they're more true than this wood is sitting here. I know they're more true than the Bible I'm actually holding in my hands. No doubt in my mind. If you're taking notes this morning, I've titled this Easter message, Because of the Resurrection. I have a little exclamation at the end of that. Because of the Resurrection... The resurrection is the final chapter in completing the finished work of salvation. You have to have a final chapter of everything, don't you? It has to be a conclusion of the matter. This was the final work in completing salvation. William Penn, speaking of the sacrificial work of Christ, said this, No pain, no palm. No thorns, no throne. No gall, no glory, no cross, no crown. I would add to those poignant words, no resurrection, no redemption. The Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3, For I delivered, well, more than verse 3, but I'll start with verse 3. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas, who's Peter, then the twelve. 
After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. And after that, he was seen by James and by all the apostles. Then last of all, he was seen by me, that would be Paul, as one born out of due time. Paul, of course, being called an apostle at a later period than the original 12. Paul, who also wrote that he would only preach Christ and him crucified, verified for the church there in Corinth, and for that matter, all the churches in the world today as well, three distinct immovable truths. Paul verifies three distinct truths there. One, Paul verifies Christ willingly was crucified for our sins. Christ willingly was crucified for our sins. Number two, Paul verifies he was fully dead and buried, but he rose again on the third day. Paul's like, this is the gospel. Over 500 people saw it. And number three, after he rose from the dead, he was seen by more than 500 of his disciples. Fully dead, or willingly died, fully dead, and then seen by the witnesses that God had ordained. John Stott, who served as an Anglican theologian and pastor for 65 years, commented on these same three truths that Paul clarifies by stating, John Stott said that the first Easter message was preached by the Apostle Peter on Pentecost, also also called Shavuot in Hebrew, exactly 50 days after the resurrection. That's why it's called Penta 5, Pentecost. The 50 days after, John Stott says that Peter preached the very first Easter message. And he said of Peter's message, uh, John Stott says the outline of Peter's message goes like this. You killed him, God raised him, we saw him. Peter stood up. Remember, he was, Peter was petrified the night that Jesus was brought to the high priest. He denied Jesus three times. He wept bitterly when he realized that he had he had basically abandoned Christ in that time of great agony. And then Peter later felt horrible about it and was so guilty, and Jesus restored him and built him back up, put the power of the Holy Spirit on and says, you're going to go preach about my resurrection. And exactly what John Stutt says, Peter stands up and says, you killed him. God raised him, and we saw him. Actually, turn to Acts chapter 2 and 3 for just a second. I want you to see it for yourself. Maybe it's been a while since you have been reminded of the simplicity of the gospel. <clears throat> Somehow Peter got up and he, he didn't have PowerPoint slides. He didn't have worship team. He didn't have a pulpit. He didn't have any of that stuff. But he, what, what he did have? He had the power of the Holy Spirit and the truth of what he had seen. Look at Peter's message, starting in verse 22. This is a good way to get yourself killed preaching like this, how Peter preaches here. Men of Israel, hear the words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders and signs which God did through him in your midst. I love what he says here. As you yourselves know. He's like, you saw the miracles. 
You saw him feed thousands. You know he raised Lazarus from the dead. You saw the miracles. Verse 23, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of who? God. You, that God purposed it, but they were part of the plan. They were fulfilling the purpose of God. You have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. Peter preaches this message again, slightly different but similar. Turn over to the third chapter. Again, these are the first Easter messages. Chapter 3, starting with verse 13. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. Peter's talking factual history. See, Pilate was willing to let him go, but you would have none of it. You wanted Barabbas. But you denied the Holy One and the just and asked for a murderer be granted to you and killed the Prince of Life, whom God raised from the dead, of which we are witnesses. And his name, through faith in his name, has made this man strong. There was a healing that took place. And Peter's verifying that the same power, same resurrected power of Christ was the same power that saves souls and heals bodies. Astounding how many knew what had happened. Remember, if you were here last week, historically we know that thousands descended upon Jerusalem. This was not done in a vacuum. This was in the open. The world knew it. Herod knew it. Pilate knew it, the chief priest knew it, the people knew it. They even knew when he rose from the dead. They even paid off guards to lie. It's in the scriptures. How many had seen what had happened, they had participated in what happened, and yet they refused to believe in the risen power of Christ. Men would much rather hold on to themselves, their self-worship, and things like that, and bow the knee. Peter's message it was simple, wasn't it? Talk about an Easter message. That was short. It was confident. It was direct. It was powerful, all because it was true. See, Peter knows what he believes. He can stand up. Do you know Peter believed in it so much that Peter later, at the end of his life, was crucified? Folks, you don't get crucified for things you don't believe in. Peter was crucified. He said he wasn't even worthy to be crucified like his Savior, so he asked they'd be crucified. They crucified him upside down, which they did. The Romans obliged. But he knew it was true. You see, the cross and the resurrection, by God's design, Peter said it was God's foreknowledge. Even though the people were wicked, even though you and I are wicked, even though we would have done the same thing they did, it was God's foreknowledge that Christ be delivered to the cross. But all of it was God's design... And the cross and the resurrection are eternally linked. Do we all understand that? The cross and the resurrection go together. You have a coin, you have two sides to the coin, the cross and the re resurrection. <clears throat> yes, our sins in rebellion placed Christ on the cross, but he willingly went, and he went by the express will of the Father. And that's something else. Every single detail was foreordained by God 
to reverse the curse of sin and death to all who believe. Notice how many times it says believe. Go read the book of John, you'll see it says it a lot. Every detail, every little detail was foreordained by God. Understand that Jesus could not die, for example, in London by lethal injection in 1950 and then rise from the dead, let's say, four weeks later. That's an option, but it wasn't an option for God. Every detail was foreordained. God had ordained the only solution. There was not any other way. It had to be exactly the way the Father ordained it. Jesus had to die in Jerusalem, Daniel chapter 9, 24 through 26. Daniel chapter 9, Jesus had to die in Jerusalem. It had to be a crucifixion. Psalm 22, verse 16, Zechariah 12, verse 10. His face had to be marred, Isaiah 52, verse 14. He had to be rejected and blasphemed and ridiculed, as we just read in the book of Mark, Psalm 22, verses 6 and 7. He had to be killed as a Passover lamb, Isaiah 53, verse 7, 700 years before he came on the scene. He had to be executed with the guilty and the wicked, Isaiah 53, 12. Mark noted it as well. He had to be buried among the rich, Isaiah 53, verse 9. And finally, he must arise from the dead and stand victorious, Job 19, 15, Psalm 16, 10. Malachi 4.2. Folks, we serve a risen Savior. All the scriptures came alive that day. The apostles would say, now we get it. Now we know what Isaiah was talking about. Now we understand what Zechariah meant. Now we know what Malachi meant. Everything had to be fulfilled. He had to come to his own, and his own receive him not. He had to have the betrayal of a friend, and it was Judas. The false accusation, the murderous execution by Roman spikes. Everything had to be fulfilled according to the will of the Father. And finally, with the resurrection, that coinciding with the rising of the sun that morning, everything was fulfilled. That morning, as Jesus comes out of the tomb, it's all fulfilled. The scriptures... You could close the book. Jesus had finished the work. The heavenly transaction of payment for the guilty, that's you and me, was complete. If the cross was a written check, the resurrection was the check clearing, paid in full. Sometimes we write a check, but until that check clears, you ever put something down on a house? It has to clear. The resurrection cleared it all, all paid. Because of the cross and the completed work of the resurrection, the dominoes of God's grace, it's like you could put the tomb and the cross at the beginning of a bunch of dominoes, and when that is complete, everything sets off. Because of the Crossing the resurrection, the dominoes of God's grace towards us and the victory over hell and the force of darkness were now eternally set in motion. And we are experiencing the grace that was poured out at the cross and the resurrection. Aren't you glad that God finishes what he starts? There's not a person on earth that's never had something they didn't complete. 
everyone, even the most, even the most ambitious, organized people don't finish something, but God finishes what he starts. Aren't you glad that Jesus never became distracted, uninterested? How about this one? Just unwilling to complete his sole mission of coming to earth. I've had all these in my life. I've been distracted. I've been disinterested. I've been bored. I've been unwilling. God's pretty good at moving me out of those areas. But Jesus never had them. He was fixed upon Jerusalem. We all become some of those things, but God never does. And Jesus never wavered until it was complete. I want to share briefly seven glorious truths that are the results of Christ's death and resurrection. Seven things. You want to write them down? We'll go quickly through these. Seven things. Seven glorious truths that are the results because of the resurrection. The message title this morning. Seven things. I could write far more than seven, but we don't have that kind of time. So here's seven that I believe are as powerful to the believer as any you'll find. Number one, his name is exalted. You know, it all starts with him, folks. We got saved because of the uh, resurrection, but his name is exalted. And the scriptures tell us this in so many ways. It's true that he loved us enough to come to die for us, but he is the one. He alone is exalted. Amen? <coughs> Revelation 5.12. Worthy is the lamb who is slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Philippians 2, 9 through 11. Therefore God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven, of those on the earth, of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There's people that use Jesus' name as a swear word. They will not when they meet him face to face. They will not use his name as a swear word on that day. They'll bow down. And they'll remember every time they ever used it as a swear word. Number three on this verse, Hebrews 1, 1 through 3. God has spoken to us in these last days by his Son and has appointed heir of all things through whom also he made the worlds, being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power when he had by himself purged our sins and he sat down at the right hand of majesty on high. He's not in the grave anymore, folks. He's exalted. All of our brothers and sisters who have gone before us are worshiping at his throne right now, and we have the opportunity to join them. Number two, seven glorious truths because of the resurrection. Number two, those who believe are saved and redeemed. This is about us. It's first about him, but here's where we can rejoice and say, thank you. Colossians 1.21, and you who were once alienated and enemies in your mind through wicked works, he has now reconciled. He's brought peace between us and God. I used to be an enemy of God. Not that I thought of myself that way, but I was opposed to all of his goodness. I did whatever I wanted, had no regard for what he 
has said is right and holy and pure, but he's redeemed us. To those that believe, we are saved and redeemed. Ephesians 2.5, even when we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ, for by grace you are saved. Saved from what? Some people say, well, what? well hell really does exist. There really is an afterlife. There really is a heaven to gain or a hell. And Jesus saves us from the penalty we so richly deserve. Number three, death has been abolished for those who believe. Yeah, I physically will still die. But our souls will live forever with the Lord. 2 Timothy 1.10 But has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. What's the gospel? We killed him. God raised him. The apostles saw it. 1 Corinthians 15, 55. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, hell, where is your victory? We just sang that. Number four. Those who believe receive the power of the Holy Spirit. John 16, 13. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. Acts 1, 8. You shall receive, when he comes upon you, you receive power to be my witnesses. Acts 2.38, repent and let everyone you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's right, that's the same, same message Peter preached, same chapter 2. At the end, he promises when you repent, you'll receive the Holy Spirit. Number five of these seven glorious truths, those who believe are completed in Christ. Again, all these are conditional upon believe. Those who believe are completed in Christ. Philippians 1.6, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. Colossians 2.9 and 10, for in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him who is the head of principalities and power. No more striving to be somebody. No more trying to impress people. We're complete in Christ. No more looking for joy and fulfillment and peace in all the wrong places. He says we're complete. C.S. Lewis even people that don't go to church know who C.S. Lewis is. They probably watch Chronicles of Narnia or things like that. C.S. Lewis said this. He said, history is the long, terrible story of man trying to find something other than God which makes him happy. It's so true. When I read the news, whether it's the North Korean dictator or someone addicted to drugs or someone who's left their spouse for another woman, or all these different things, it's the long, terrible history of man trying to find something other than God that'll make him happy. And it never, ever works. Number six, these seven glorious truths. Satan and the demons are defeated. They had perhaps a three-day party 
But Jesus crashed their party (laughs) and doomed them for all eternity. Colossians 2.15, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. They thought they made a public spectacle of him. Jesus said, "Uh uh-uh. Three days later, you're the public spectacle. When Jesus will someday, as John tells us, in John 2.20, Satan who who deceives the whole world is cast forever into the lake of fire. Paul was so confident in Christ's victory, he told the church in Romans, and boy, they had it tough under the Roman government, and the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. Jesus made a public spectacle and dominated the force of darkness with his resurrection. And lastly, number seven of these seven glorious truths. Those who believe will be meeting the risen Savior in the clouds. 1 Thessalonians 14 through 18. For if we believe, notice that that the the precedent is you must believe the gospel for these things to be true. It keeps is a recurring theme. Must believe, must believe, must believe. Listen to Paul writing to the Thessalonians there in Thessalonica. 1 Thessalonians 4, 14 through 18. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Your grandmother was saved, she'll be coming up. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Paul's like, your Savior's risen and he's going to bring you too. Seven glorious truths for those of us who believe these things. Centuries ago, on the south coast of China, high up on a hill overlooking the harbor of Macau, Portuguese settlers, they built an enormous cathedral. They believed it would weather time, and they placed it upon the front wall of a cathedral. I placed on the front of the front wall a massive bronze cross, and it stood high into the sky. Not too many years later, a typhoon came, and God's finger work swept away man's handiwork. And all of that cathedral was pushed down into the ocean and down the hill as debris, except for the front wall that had the big bronze cross. Centuries later, there was a shipwreck out beyond that harbor, Some died and a few lived. One of the men that was hanging on to the wreckage from the ship, he was moving up and down as the sea would crest. As the ocean swells were moving, he was disoriented, he was frightened, he didn't know where land was. And as he would come up on each swell, he would spot this cross, tiny in the distance, high on a hill. His name was Sir John Bowring. And when he made it to land, and he lived to tell the story, this is what he wrote. And the cross of 
In the cross of Christ I glory, towering o'er the wrecks of time. All the lights of sacred story gathers round its head sublime. When the woes of life o'ertake me, hopes deceive and fears annoy, never shall the cross forsake me. Lo, it glows with peace and joy. John Bowring is just telling us that we have a cross and we have an altar. And when all of life seems to crush on top of us, we just need to go back to the cross and remember the empty tomb and call to mind the fact that man is neither, this man, Jesus, is neither on the cross nor in the tomb, but he lives and he stands and he is ready and able to help whatever we are going through. Come by grace to the cross and say, that is my sufficiency, that is my only hope. Kenneth Osbeck, 101 Hymn Stories. Folks, the cross and the resurrection is our only hope. Not just because one man realized it nearly drowning at sea. It's our only hope because life, many people are drowning in life. It's our only hope, but do we believe that? Do we ignore that? Do we put it off? Or do we believe in something else? I was reading yesterday, just yesterday, some of you may have read the same article I read. I was reading yesterday of a self-penned obituary written by a 69-year-old grandmother in Florida. She passed away just last week. Her obituary went viral. When she was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, she wrote of her life and she wrote words of encouragement to her family. But she also wrote these words, and it's why this went viral, and you can go look it up yourself. She said these words, I was born, I blinked, it was over. The Bible says our life is but a vapor. The title of this message was Because of the Resurrection, exclamation point. But what if I changed the title Because of the Resurrection, question mark? How would you answer some might say, I, I don't know. Because of the resurrection, I don't know. Is it any more important than last night's Final Four games? Is it any more important than what I'm going to have for lunch today? Because of the resurrection, some would say, I don't know. Never really thought about it. I guess I'll think about it someday, but I haven't thought about it yet. Some might say, well, because of the resurrection, I go to church twice a year. Because of the resurrection, I get dressed up more that day. Because of the resurrection, you know, I kind of think that, that this Christian stuff is, is pretty cool. Somebody said, because of the resurrection, I feel I need to do something. I just don't know what. Because of the resurrection, Peter said, repent and be saved. See, Jesus only came for one reason. He didn't need to leave heaven. He was already alive. We're only alive because he's alive. The breath in our lungs, whether you're saved or unsaved, whether you believe or don't believe, he's given life to every man. He's breathed life into all men. But the second birth, the second great need that we have of being given eternal life 
Everyone's born once, but not everyone's born twice. In the book of John, turn with me so you seat yourself and we'll come to a close. John writes, Look what John writes in John chapter 1, verse 12. This is the crux of the matter. When Peter stood up and preached the first Easter message, he mentions, you didn't believe. You didn't believe. But you know what? That day, more than 3,000 did believe. They hadn't believed before. They had seen the facts. They knew the facts were true. What held them back? What was holding them back? It wasn't because they didn't know it was true. Because they didn't want to yield to Christ. But 3,000 came to their senses and said, I don't know why we waited so long. And they repented. And this is what John writes in John chapter 1, verse 12. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God, to those who believe in his name. That's not enough to believe that Jesus exists. Satan believes Jesus exists. That's why he had a party at the cross. He didn't believe in Jesus. He just believed that Jesus existed. But he hated Jesus. Still does. But the power of the resurrection, because of the resurrection, I told you when I started, the only reason I can stand here today, and the only reason I am standing here today, is the power of the resurrection. The cross, the shed blood, and the empty tomb. And I had to simply say, Lord, I don't know how believing this will radically change me and turn me upside down, but I believe it will. And it did. And all of you that are saved, you have the same testimony. You don't know what happened when you said, Lord, I throw it all at your feet. I'm going to stop trying to be happy with my own ways and finding my own way and being part of the long, terrible history of man trying to find happiness apart from God. And not only can you not find happiness, you can't find salvation either. But because of the empty tomb, we have a reason to say, thank you, Lord, I believe. Let's close in prayer. Jesus, No words can describe what you have done on our behalf. We do believe that you're the Son of God. We believe that you're equal to the Father. We believe you're the very one that formed the wood that the cross was made of. You're the very one that formed the hill there in Jerusalem that you were slain upon. You even created the very people that spat upon you. So much, Lord, that you said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And even this day, Lord, people still don't know what they're doing when they say, I don't have time for you. Maybe later, I don't believe. But Lord, yet you still lovingly reach out your hands. And the empty tomb, Lord, is still available to all that would call upon your name. Lord, for those of us that have received you as Lord and Savior, we want to say thank you. Thank you seems so insignificant, and yet, Lord, there's nothing else we can do because we can't do anything to earn your free gift but to receive it. To them that receive you, we have become 
and given the right to become the sons and daughters of God. So Jesus, we say thank you. We praise you. Your name is exalted. You're high and lifted up. 